this week's episode. I saw my friend Misty post about this like a week ago and I immediately reached out to her because it's such an important topic and it can be kind of a lot or it can feel overwhelming and so today we are talking about intimacy in your relationship after babies and so if you have littles around you may want to pop in some headphones or this might not be the best one to listen in the car if you've got toddlers in the back seat unless they've got their headphones on so pre-warning about that um, nothing too crazy um, but I did just want to give you that heads up as we dive into this very important topic that we all uh, deal with so thanks for joining me on today's episode of the memoirs from the minivan podcast well good morning misty how are you today i am good it's been absolutely insane already but being a mom of two little ones it's easy for it to be insane right like when is it not insane right yeah <laughs> yeah especially the toddler age mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always thought infants were kind of difficult, and then I got, like, a three-year-old, and I was like, oh, okay, and then I thought they were difficult, and then I got an eight-year-old, and I was like, okay, so I don't know when that part actually um, wraps up, maybe never. (laughs) Anyways, well, super excited to chat with you. Um, Misty and I have known each other, gosh, for probably... 22, 23 years. years. Yeah, Yeah, something like Mm -hmm. that. And um, we recently kind of got reconnected. Um, We've got some similar birth stories and things. And she had posted something, um, I think just a couple days ago or maybe last week, um, that really prompted me to invite her to be on the podcast because I think you just have um, a really important topic to share about. And so before we dive into all of that, though, can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and your fam and stuff. All right. Um, so again, like she said, I'm Misty Nobles. I'm glad you guys are listening. Maybe is amazing. Um, but my family story began three years ago, almost three years ago. My husband got married. My husband and I got married. Um, and we knew ahead of time. And honestly, like the Lord told us, early on that we were going to get pregnant really early into our marriage. So it was just an expectation we had going in like, Hey, we're not going to just be the two of us very long. It's going to be a very quick transition. And when we wound up having, um, Willa, um, we got pregnant. We knew it was a girl. The moment we were pregnant, we're like, we know it's a girl. So, um, but I wound up having a bunch of difficulties in my pregnancy Um, Willa is now 19 months old, um, and during her pregnancy, I had a incompetent cervix, so I was going into premature labor early on in my pregnancy, so I had to have a cerclage put in, and then, um, so that was two hospital stays for that, and then I had her in the, right after having her, I hemorrhaged, hospitalized while with her, losing half of my blood, and then two and a half weeks weeks later after we got home, I hemorrhaged again with her. So, um, so I got to off to a rough start with my first baby, of course. And we were also working like, my husband was working 70 plus hours a week at that same time. 
and then um, made it through that great. We made it to her first year of life. That was our goal. <laughs> but um, when she was, man, I think she was 10 months old, we found out we were pregnant with our second. Um, and it was really cool because our second now is two months old. Um, and one of the biggest things is hey, with Nicholas, we just prayed like strongly, like, Lord, will you please give us a delivery and a pregnancy that is day and night different from Willa? Was day and night different, though it had its different challenges. So um, it was kind of a journey to get both of them here, but I think that's just pregnancy in general. So I have my husband, we have Willa and Nicholas. Willa is 19 months, Nicholas is two months. Then we have a dog named Bobby. Um, he is three years old, almost three years old. No, two years old. Anyways, he was with us first. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we also have my brother-in-law living with us. And then we have a roommate. So we always have extra people with us at all times. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I know, you know, you and I share just a lot in common about birth stories. And I wanted to just kind of start there because I feel like that there is a lot of just stuff with with birth and with birth stories and, yeah, you yeah. know, with on, within only the last, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so have things like Pinterest emerged and social mm -hmm. media emerged right in the last, like, 15 years or so where it's been, like, now there's this sort of idea about how things are, like, supposed to go. You know, before that, mm -hmm. it was very much... I read a book and I sort of made my own assumptions about how things were going to go. But now I have this availability to see millions of people's really assumptions. Which is about almost how overwhelming because yeah. there's so much information available and how much of it is actually beneficial and how much of it is actually to your detriment. Mm hmm. Um, in the process as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, being a mom, becoming a mom within just the last two years, two and a half years, how do you feel like you prepared for birth? And obviously, you know, you and I have similar experiences with our first as far as that being so traumatic. And like, mm -hmm. do you feel like you had a way to prepare for that? Not in so much of like, well, I couldn't possibly prepare. I didn't know it was going to happen. But like, how did you prepare for birth? And then when all of that happened, how do you feel like navigating that in this current world of just social media and everything? How did that have an impact? Oh, man. Um, so with my first, with Willa, um, it was really difficult because obviously my husband and I were both working 60 hours a week. Um, and, you know, of course, hospitals are like, well, make sure you get your birth classes in and all of that jazz. And I was like, I don't even know how to get, like, how do we have time to go to a class every single night when we're literally working hours that are not inside of that, and then our jobs didn't provide, like, financial compensation for days off or anything like that. So we just didn't have that flexibility um, to be able to even go through a class. Um, there was a lot of resources available. Luckily, my sister-in-law, um, Jessie, she gave me a couple books that, um, what to expect when expecting you, know, your typical old book, and then your mom and natural book, um, which I love both of them. The mom and natural, I think, came in more, more in handy for me later on in my pregnancy. Um, I didn't read it right off the bat. Um, but I did a lot of research um, 
honestly searching the internet and stuff like that, but we got a doula. A doula was a big part of our first pregnancy. Um, and it was amazing because she, she, I feel like knowledge is power when it comes to delivering a baby. Um, in the sense of knowing what our bodies do and what they were made to do and how they were designed. Sure. Um, in that sense, not necessarily get as much knowledge as possible of every single possibility. Like, I don't think that's the answer because that's too much. I think the answer is how do our bodies work? What were they designed to do? In, in the grand scheme of things, my body was made to deliver babies. Like, we have that design in creation that that's the way I was made. And our doula was really amazing because she gave us the historical context of how delivery rooms used to be and um, everything from when they would literally put women out cold, have them deliver babies, and the women suffer trauma to, you know, how in the 80s when it transitioned from being that kind of delivery to what are, like, actually advocating to going back to the ways of, like, the midwifery kind of mm -hmm. mindset. Um, and so I did go through midwives. I originally wanted to go through um, a birthing center, went to it, had a really horrible experience, transitioned to another group of midwives. Um, and it was a really fantastic experience. Um, but the doula was very helpful in the sense that she gave me a lot of the knowledge I needed, just even the science of knowing what our bodies do. Sure. And to know that the pain is actually a good thing. It's communication. And Knowing how to listen to your body and the communication of your body is so essential when it comes to delivery because my biggest thing was if I didn't want to have a medicated birth. I didn't want to have um, an epidural. I wanted to go completely natural. Um, and so if you're going to go that route, if that's the route you feel like you need to go, then a doula is so great because they just kind of help you get into that mental space mm -hmm. that is necessary to push through those difficulties. Um, and I'm not saying that's the only route. I'm saying that's the route that I felt like I needed to go. Totally. But um, because natural delivery is a mental game completely. Mm -hmm. um, and so my, my preparing for Willa was definitely just a mental game. But I also kind of had a little bit against me and for me when it came to the day of delivery because, um, like I said earlier, I – at 19 weeks, went for the anatomy scan, and then they're like, oh my goodness, we need to send you to the hospital right now. Um, and I had no idea what was going on. Like, I had the, the fears that were attached in the beginning of my pregnancy, because I have so many friends that lost babies from miscarriage yeah. to stillborns to all of those things, that I carried through my first half of my pregnancy, but I actually had no issues in the first half of my pregnancy. It was, I mean, textbook perfect, like beautiful. Like, other than being sick every day. But I get to 19 weeks, and here's Willa completely in the birthing canal, pushing out, and I'm already dilating. Wow. Um, and so they admitted me to the hospital, which, of course, like, your emo your mama emotions are, oh, my gosh. Like, if she was born right now, I'd lose her. She would die. Like, yeah. um, and, and so I'm laying in the hospital, and this is pre-COVID, so we didn't have the variables of where people couldn't come see you and all of that jazz. Like, so I was hospitalized for two days for that, um, and thankfully I got a doctor that at that moment, he's like, well, I don't want to rush having surgery, because if we don't need to be, do surgery, the less invasive that we need to be is better, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and so so I wound up two weeks later, after going every week, being checked to see my progress, um, I remember laying in that, that ultrasound room, 
them doing, you know, your transvaginal <laughs> ultrasound, which sucks in every sense of the term, but mm-hmm. that's just basically the only form that I get now. Um, but um, I'm laying there on the table, and thankfully for Willa, my husband was able to be with me. Um, I'm laying there, and I see the screen, and I look at it, and I'm like, I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to have to have the surgery. Like, and so, sure enough, they see it. The doctor comes in. He's like, okay. He's like, it's not like a rush, rush thing. So I was like one centimeter dilated at that point at 20, at 21 weeks. I was one centimeter dilated. And, um, and of course that's just too risky at that point to be far dilated already. And so he's like, so next, the next morning you go and you go. You're going to have to have the surgery. So my husband was with me for 15 minutes at the hospital dropping me off. And I had to go into surgery because he had to go back to work because the work would not let him. So I had to go through a lot of my processes without him beside me as well, mm-hmm. um, which is really challenging to not have that that person that's your closest person that's in the journey with you beside you while you're going through these really scary things you've never experienced. Sure. So, so I'm awake for the whole procedure. They just give you a spinal tap and stitch you up and send you on your way. Um, and so the rest of the pregnancy, I was on high watch because, you know, one, they had to make sure that nothing would tear, like the stitching came undone or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, the goal was to make it to like, they just had many goals. Like we just every week. So my, my pregnancy, whereas most women like see their baby like once or twice, I was an every week thing. I got to literally watch my baby grow week by week, which is such a crazy miracle to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally get to 36 weeks, they remove the stitching, and I'm like, I'm going to go into labor immediately. That girl hung on. <laughs> Another, she hung on to full term and past that. So, praise God, she wound up being two days past due, um, which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, but she was a perfect seven, seven pounds, um, 19 inches long, and my delivery with her, we got to the hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.15 in the morning, I was only five centimeters dilated. I was so mad. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, but within a hour and a half, I finished my dilation and had her in my arms. Wow. Um, and it was crazy because, like, they did all the triage stuff and checking you and monitoring you, and then they transferred me. I did get to deliver in a natural birthing center in the hospital. And um, I didn't even get to enjoy the benefits of being in a birthing center because it was so quick. Like, literally, I walked in, went to the bathroom, threw up. She did a little bit more monitoring, put me in the birthing tub. And and she, I was in there for maybe five, ten minutes. And I was like, I need to push. They're like, no, 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 there's no way. They're like, let us check you to make sure. Sure enough, she was ready to come out. They're like, you don't need to be in that tub anymore. you got to get out. Yeah. Well, they, over, they overfilled the tub. And I have to literally have them help me climb out of the tub while I'm ready to push my baby out. Like, I'm, like, hurtling over my tub and then down some stairs, across the room, up oh, some more stairs, word. onto a bed, all <laughs> in the point where I'm, like, pushing. Like, I'm ready for her to come out. I mean, um, you know, when you hear stories like this, it's like women should honestly, I mean, you know, Golden Globes, what, what do you got? Like, <laughs> Grammys. I mean, yeah, it's like, there's just so much that happens. And unless you've been in those moments or, you know, you've 
been privy to being with a woman going through that stuff. It's some of it's just unreal as I'm thinking about your story here. Yeah. And so I finally get her and within a few pushes, she's out. Um, and so the one thing my doula did not pre- prepare for me for, and I didn't even really know to educate myself on was the fourth stage of labor. Sure. Um, after the baby's out, what happens next? Um, and that was more traumatic for me than the delivery itself. The delivery was like, like you couldn't ask for a better delivery in the sense yeah. of things. Like I didn't have pain for about, like with her, I had pain for about three hours. Okay. So I had probably pain for about three hours of total. My contractions were painful. Um, but with, with after that, after she's out, she's in my arms and it's that switch where, okay, we need to get the placenta out of you right now. Um, and this hospital was very, they're, they're a fantastic hospital, but this moment, this specific time, because my daughter was born in her water sack as well. My water never broke. Mm -hmm. She came out, her head was still encased. Um, it wasn't until the final push that my water broke when she came out. Um, and so they were all amazed by that because a lot of doctors don't get to see in midwives in their whole career. They never actually get to see a vaginal um, birth like that. Mm-hmm. And so they're freaking out about that. Well, then as soon as she's in my arms, of course, comes the pushing on your stomach to try to get things to shut down to help your uterus, massaging your uterus down and stuff like that. Um, but it was almost like immediately they're like, we're going to get this placenta out of you. And I felt them tugging on the cord and they're like, okay, now push it out. Well, my placenta ripped. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know, if any pieces of the, the membranes or your your placenta or any of the tissues that are attached to your, your the sac don't come out, then it actually keeps your body in a, in a pregnancy state, thinking yep. that it's pregnant. Um, and I started hemorrhaging because my body wasn't shutting down labor. It wasn't shutting down the pregnancy. Um, and, um, and even now, like, I still, like, thinking about it, it's emotional for me, because I remember my doula on my right, my husband on my left, my baby in my arms, and then looking down in front of me, looking at the midwife and seeing the concern in their eyes, Um, and everybody's telling me, everything's all right, everything's all right, in the meantime, I'm feeling blood just leaving me, gushing out of me, Mm -hmm. and um, and I didn't even know that was possible to have that much blood, like, that just kept going and going and going, and they couldn't get it to shut down. Um, and so while they're doing that, she had already stuck me with the lanocaine. So I've already gone through that process for her to try to stitch me up because I also tore. Um, but she couldn't get the bleeding to shut down for her to even be able to see to stitch me up. And so she wound up having to manually go up with her arm up to her elbow, scrape me out as much as possible with her hands. No, I'm not medicated. I'm not on anything. The only thing I had was like the the laughing gas. Um, and they're telling me it's okay. Just stare at your baby. And I'm like, how in the world do you expect me to like enjoy my baby in my arms when I can feel I'm not okay. Right. Um, and also knowing that there's nothing I can do about it. Like I'm, I'm kind of just stuck in this place, like trying to figure out and I'm not communicating to me what's actually going on which is sometimes harder than if you actually know what they're doing and what's happening. Yeah. Um, I see people rushing in and I see somebody say, do I need to go get blood transfusion? And they're saying all these things around me. I have my baby in my arms, but I'm not even getting to enjoy her because yeah. I can feel the mad chaos in the room. There was probably 
eight or nine people in the room other than my doula, my husband, myself, and my midwife. These mm-hmm. are extra people. And, um, and so I'm like laying there and finally she gets it to where it sets down enough to where she can stitch me up. But in the midst of all of that as well, they did a catheter. They're like, we got to we gotta get her bladder emptied so we can try to get this more space so we can make sure we get everything. So they did a manual in-and-out catheter. They put their arm up in me. They, like, it was anything that could be traumatic was traumatic in that yep. moment. Like, yeah. um, and so they finally got it shut down, um, got me stitched up. Um, I was right on the line where I didn't have to have a blood transfusion. I could have, but I didn't. Um, and so instead they're like, well, let's just see how you handle how your body makes the blood to see if we need to do the transfusion. They were kind of in that place of like, uh, um, and so now comes the time of like postpartum recovery. Like now I'm in the point of like, okay, let's recover. And, um, and also, you know, you can't move on to your your postpartum room until you go to the bathroom. So I had so much taken out of me that I couldn't even sit up because I was going to throw up. I was I was not in a good place, and I was so exhausted I couldn't keep my eyes open. Um, and so I wound up sleeping the first four hours of my daughter's life. Um, I didn't. I had her on my chest, thankfully, for the first hour because it took them that long to get me situated. Um, but after that, my husband held her because I, I had no energy to give to her at all. Um, and, um, I finally wake up and they're like, okay, well, let's try to get you transferred, but you need to use the restroom, restroom first. I physically had no feeling, no pee sensation, nothing. I could not feel to use the bathroom. Um, I could not use those muscles at all. Um, I was so swollen and so messed up. And so they wound up doing another in-and-out catheter just to empty my bladder so they can transfer me. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to have a catheter put in, just have the tube there. It's another thing to have it in-out, 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 that is just, like, very traumatic, as well as them coming in still and pushing on your stomach every 15 minutes and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, and every time you feel more blood just leaving you. Um, and so... We finally get transferred, and they're trying to get me to get up and walk, but I don't even have the energy. The moment I try to stand up, I'm about to faint. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's that extreme. Um, and, and so we finally get home, and after getting to a good point, Willa did great. She's a champ. Like, this girl, and she still is. She is just a strong child. Like, um, she's super, super strong. Um, perfect baby wasn't one that screamed and cried all the time like she was amazing um and we get home husband goes back to work after a week um and then I'm upstairs just me and my daughter at the house I have her wrapped on me and I feel something and I'm like something's not right and I stand up and I just feel a letdown like I have so much blood gushing out of me I have to walk down the stairs she's wrapped me I'm trying to find somebody to see if anybody's home because we had multiple roommates at that time and nobody was home while I feel just blood leaving my body. And, um, and I'm sorry, this is really graphic, but it's just the reality of what I went through. Sure. And stand in the bathtub, call my husband, call 911. He gets here right before the ambulance does, and the ambulance takes me by 
to the hospital and my husband's left with my daughter in his arms, not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, I mean, I, I had the only reason I wasn't bleeding more before that is because I had clots the size of softballs that were blocking the entryway to be able to release blood. Um, and I had multiples. I passed probably four or five clots that size. Um, and, and it was terrifying because it's like I'm standing there in a pool of blood not knowing what's going to happen next. And by the grace of God, I don't even know how it's possible I didn't faint the amount of blood I was losing. Yeah. Um, I literally, by the grace of God, am standing in the bathtub, completely coherent, completely okay, holding my baby. And then my husband takes her out of my arms. The moment I get onto the stretcher to go, I all of a sudden feel like I, I'm going to faint. Like, yeah. I know that it was God in the room with me at that moment, but it just kept me strong enough so that nothing would happen to my baby and nothing else would happen to me. Totally. Um, and so, so finally they figured out um, that I didn't have all of the tissue removed. Um, I did a DNC, so I had another surgery and they, <laughs> where they had to, they finally just scraped me out. Um, and hospitalized for a couple more days just while I recovered from that. But then I had to be hospitalized one more time after that because the gas was not releasing from my body. That is a side effect of the DNC. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, and I was in so much pain. I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand. I couldn't do anything. Um, and so um, so that was Willa. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Willa. Um, no, I, I just appreciate yeah. you sharing that and your transparency in that because – if you are a listener and have listened for a while, Misty and I have a lot of similarities in our birth story. And I remember when we met at a coffee house to chat about it, it was just almost like a mirror reflection um, just to the trauma. Um, our stories are a little bit different, but just the level of trauma. And when that kind of thing happens to you, I, I mean, you, you just are forever changed. There's no going back to the person that you were before that kind of experience. You are just forever changed um and I know so you're your spouse that's the yep. other thing is I think that's another thing that's not ever brought up is my husband was very affected by that yeah in the midst of it he couldn't he wanted to be strong for me and so it wasn't until a couple of days after I got back and I was finally stabilized that he was finally able to process what he just went through and, yep. and seeing coming home and seeing his wife in the state that I was in yeah and then cleaning up cleaning up the blood in the house afterwards like scrubbing the carpets, cleaning the bathtub, like all of that was, had to be done after we got home. So he, yeah. he was in a horrible state as well. Yeah. Well, that really transitions to what I wanted to talk about, because I think as women, we're getting to a point where we can, um, we can talk and we can share um, but there's this other person, too, that's in the relationship that, you know, I know my husband was majorly impacted, like, wasn't sure you were going to make it. I saw you mm -hmm. leave here pouring blood on a stretcher. I, I didn't exactly. know what to even expect or think. And I've got this baby who's only a few weeks old in my arms. Exactly. What am I what am I supposed exactly. to do with all this? And so talk a little bit about how you and Josh have processed some of that together and I know your story with Nicholas is very different but after that time like what did some of those conversations look like and how did you guys get to a better place from that pregnancy to even think about even a second <laughs> child um you know with Josh um Josh is extremely strong um he's 
he he's a trained professional referee, so he just goes into referee mode a lot. Mm. His game face, got to get my game face on. Um, and he is very much more of an internal processor, where I'm an external processor. Sure. Um, and so sometimes it's a little challenging because, you know, he doesn't necessarily need the dialogue as much as I need it. Like, I need a dialogue, he doesn't need it as much. And um, it's really... With Will, it was really challenging because um, I feel like for him, it was more so a, um, I guess you can say it was the couple days after I got back of really processing. And I think him breaking down and crying, like just recognizing, like he needed to cry. He needed to just weep what he just saw. Because just like what you said about Jeff, like, he was in the same state. Like he's standing there holding our two week old baby, not knowing if I'm going to come out of it. And is he going to be stuck with our baby? So I know um, from what he expressed to me, he actually had a really great support team in the sense of he called our pastor. Um, And while he's on the way driving and he's just bawling to the pastor and asking for prayer and asking for covering in that sense um, of not knowing what's going to come out of it. But then Um, when we got home, you know, I think he was just, he was, he is a, a, a server. Like he, he just has to serve and has to, to give, like he feels like that's part of his, um, role. That's how he loves really well, like gifts of service. Um, and, and so for him, he was just honestly serving me hand and foot, like, he would hold me when I would cry, like when I was processing everything. Um, and I think, I think a big part of it is just recognizing, like, we need to cry together. Yeah. We needed, we needed to cry together. We needed to, um, recognize also with Willa cause she was like co-sleeping with us and we had to recognize like, we can't do this. Like we can't co-sleep, mm-hmm. um, with Willa because we needed, we needed that time and that intimacy together just being next to each other, sure. being held by one another. Yeah. Um, you know, he, I feel like, bounced back a lot quicker than I did because, you know, all he needed was that good cry and to express, like, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. it was a lot quicker of a conversation. Whereas me, there were multiple triggers. Um, yep. and, and it honestly took up to the month before we found out we were pregnant with mm-hmm. Nicholas. Um, Every period I got triggered me. Yep. Like I literally got my period back exactly eight weeks after my, after I delivered her. Yep. Exactly eight weeks. <laughs> um, she, my period came back, and so the moment I saw blood, I was triggered yep. every single time. Yeah. Um, and and so pretty much every month my period came, and I had to process it. There were different parts. I would get different memories of things because I feel like even in the midst of it, there were a lot of things within my delivery after my delivery that I forgot, um, that I didn't know happened, that I didn't remember. And so there would be moments that those different things would come up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I think one of the biggest things that helped me is being vulnerable and just actually sharing my experience. Like I couldn't keep it to myself. I didn't need to keep it in because that was actually hindering me. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of things in that though, that I just wanted to just point on like one, not shutting your husband out and communicating because I think he 
gosh, you know, when we think about what women walk into a birth story with, we have all these expectations. We want to just like fall in love with our baby. We want these sweet moments. So we're planning for that. But then like, honestly, I think a husband doesn't really know how this is going to change my wife, what all's going to happen. Maybe he's read some things, but let's be honest, they're not reading the articles probably the way that we are, right? So they just don't know what to expect. And then you're forever changed. And so I, I feel like just that level of communication of like, here's how I'm feeling. I remember looking at Jeff when I was in ICU after the emergency procedure that saved my life. And I just said like, I just can't keep doing this. Like, I just yeah. want to go home. Like, yeah. you know, you're just yeah. kind of broken yeah. you're, you're at that point. Yeah. You're Absolutely. just kind of broken and you just feel pincushion and poked and all the things, you know, and your husband who wants to sort of protect you from all of that is just literally completely helpless. Yeah. So I think what you said about just communicating, just crying together, which seems maybe simple, but is sometimes really difficult. And then you just being vulnerable because sharing your story empowers you. Because when I started sharing mine, I learned that other people had similar experiences and all of a sudden I was no longer alone in that story or in that experience. So I just want to point that out really quick. Yeah, no, it was huge. That's, I mean, it was the communicating and recognizing when I wasn't okay. Cause I think sometimes also we feel like we have to be okay. We have to be a super mom. I have to have the energy to do like this, 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 and this, this is like what, what society and what honestly media tells us we're supposed to be as moms. This is what it's supposed to look like. And I think, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, talking about, okay, Pinterest and all of these different things where it's like, this is what a super mom looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this pressure that I feel like we automatically take on going into motherhood of this is the kind of mom I'm supposed to be. And this is the kind of wife I'm supposed to be as being a mom as well. And, and I think, I think we have to throw those things out the window and recognize their story is different from yours. Yeah. You have to, you have to embrace your own story. Mm -hmm. And, And that's one of the biggest, like, thing that I've told a lot of mamas, like I've had different women that are pregnant and they ask me like, what's your advice? And I was like, embrace your story. Yeah. That's, that's my advice to you. Like you can read all these different articles on these different women, but that's not your story. Your story is very different. And, and even same mamas, different child, completely different story. So you have to recognize that it's so cool how literally not only are we created differently, but every way that we get here is so different. Totally. Um, and, and so I, I know like with my husband and I in that journey of my, of my healing, like my biggest healing, there's your physical healing that took time because I had to reproduce my blood. I'm breastfeeding. And while I'm nursing, my body's fighting more to to reproduce my blood than to produce my milk. So I was always, I never had an abundance. I always had to fight hard just to have enough milk to nourish my baby. Um, and so there was that journey of like, Oh, I'm not doing enough because you see the stories of, Pinterest where people have freezers full of milk supply and I'm like that's never going to be me that's not my story Mm -hmm. although I still fought that that pressure that I'm not doing enough because this is what's presented to me as being correct sure um and so but the beautiful thing is is I nursed my goal was to nurse my daughter to a year old I nursed her to 13 months and she weaned herself. I didn't have to wean her. I didn't run out of milk. I had the perfect amount that she needed so that she would grow correctly. And, and she didn't suffer. Um, and, and that was my, that was my goal. That was my prayer. 
Um, did I always have a clean house? No. Did I always have this energy to do a lot of things? No. Um, do I, do I now? No. Um, but my, my husband was amazing because I, I'm gifted with a husband who is very hands-on with our children. Mm-hmm. He will change the diapers. He will feed them if he's able to, he will do these things. But there's also that side where I saw him struggling because, and I still like, even now with us having our new baby, there's this struggle of, I don't know how to help. I feel like I'm not doing enough. So not only do we feel that, like, and I think that's why the dialogue with our husbands are so important is the fact that we as moms feel, oh, we're not doing enough. But we forget the fact that a lot of times our husbands feel that same way. It's just a different context. Yeah. Um, He wants to serve. He wants to give because he sees me nursing our babies and caring for our babies. And he sees that as a full-time job. Not all men do that. Not all men see nursing as a full-time job. They see it as, this is just part of the process. They don't realize the amount that it takes out. Luckily, my husband does. He's very hands-on and recognizes the sacrifice that I'm making. Yeah. And he's very, he's very patient with me. Um, from my emotional up and downs to, to my, in with Willa, my physical inability to do things. Sure. Because like I feel, as a wife, I have a responsibility and and a pleasure, a responsibility and pleasure to to have sex with my husband as well. And with that pregnancy, because I had a surclause, we weren't allowed to do anything intimate physically right. at all. Yeah. And so that called for us having to learn how to be intimate with one another without being physical. Um, and and so then with with Nicholas, it was a very different ballgame because we were able to do everything through our whole pregnancy, able to be physical through the whole pregnancy. Um, and then I, you know, had a totally different experience delivery-wise, didn't hemorrhage, any of that. But yet my emotional state has been worse. Um, and, and so, like, really engaging with Josh, honestly, I feel like is one of the biggest struggles of having children. Mm-hmm. Like, making sure you're still keeping your marriage and your relationship with your husband first um, so that you can be better parents. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think it's it's a topic that we don't talk about much because I feel like there's sort of this like stigma around it of sort of like you just gave birth and you just did this and you know your husband can figure it out and whatever. But you're talking about the the livelihood of your marriage. And and you know, we're not talking about unrealistic expectations. We're talking about, you know, a deeper commitment we have to our marriage. But that that can get really murky and muddy and complicated and painful and all these things and emotional after babies. And Mm -hmm. we can quickly, as moms, I think, divert all of our attention um, to those kids. And even our husbands can do that. He can divert all of his attention to kids and just getting through that and all of that. And it it can be easy for us to neglect each other. And this is the exact Mm -hmm. post that you had shared that I reached out and said, can we talk about this? Because I think there are a lot of marriages that are really struggling with intimacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, it can appear fine on the cover. We've got our cute Instagram pictures and we've got all the things going on, but behind the scenes we're really broken because just as we were made to be in community with each other and we feel isolated and alone when we're not with friends or we miss out on that stuff, when we are not in an intimate relationship with our spouses, we are missing out on that deeper connection. And so, yeah, so talk a little bit about 
um, you know, what that conversation looked like that you shared. Cause you talked about how you like, I don't want to be touched. I do not want you to touch me at all right now. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're a mom with, you have a toddler and a nursing baby, there's almost yeah. no moment where someone's not touching you. <laughs> so, exactly. so talk a little there's bit about that. Like, this is the longest I've gone without being touched in a long time. Right. <laughs> um, and, and like I, physical touch is always a thing that's always been kind of a challenge for me, me in too. general. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it's like attached to insecurity or things like that. And I think honestly, a lot of like what we're talking about right now is rooted in an insecurity that I feel as well. Sure. Um, not necessarily with my babies. Like there is a physical, mental, emotional exhaustion that I have right now because like I said, we've got, I've got a two month old and a 19 month old. Both are very, very needy, especially like the 19 month old. I feel like he's even more needy now than what she was before. Sure. Um, and, and so normally I have either both babies in my arms, one baby, um, both babies is a very common thing that I have. I'm nursing one and the other one wants to be in my lap at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and with Josh, like thankfully his job has provided him with three months paternity leave. Not many people get that. Like he, so like I said before, day and night difference between my first, <laughs> first baby, he has been with me consistently. Like his whole job right now is to be a dad and to be a husband. Um, and so, so if, if we are not playing with the kids, one of us is either cooking a meal or doing laundry or, and laundry is uh, never ending now. Um, I don't know how little kids can have so many clothes, um, and go through so much. Like it's ridiculous how much we have. Um, but we never, we have to be so intentional with our time together And, and so there's a lot of times where he is super cute, you know, like he, he's, he's the come and grab you and dance in the kitchen kind of guy, you know, like while you're cooking your dinner, which with just Willa or before we had kids, that was fantastic. I loved it. I love to be interrupted to come and do that. Now that I have two kids, total different ballgame. When I'm standing at the kitchen cooking a meal, a lot of times now that's, maybe my only time of the day that I don't have someone touching me. Yeah. And, and so he would come up and try to be cute with me and try to love on me or try to, you know, have a passionate kiss or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't want this. Yeah. I don't want it. Yep. And instantly this feeling is how dare I, I'm so ashamed of myself. Like, how dare I not give him this? How dare? And it's not a pressure he's put on me. I want to clarify that. Yeah. My husband has never put pressure on me to do anything. Um, but there was this, there's this expectation I've placed on myself as a woman that this is what I am supposed to do. So I think a lot of it comes from insecurity, which coming out of delivering a baby, your body is completely different. And, and so for me, I spend my entire day giving myself to someone, um, always like, especially because I'm nursing. So I have a two month old and I'm nursing and normally my 19 month old is on my lap at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, when she's not, she's playing on the floor and I'm having to get onto her while I'm like interacting with Nicholas as well. Um, and my husband does an incredible job of like trading off <laughs> like we take mm-hmm. turns of which one has which one so one there's this huge like gap as in 
we literally just don't have as much time as much time as we used to have yeah because our time is split so we don't have this choice of like I'm going to devote my full attention to you at any point of the day right now. That's just not a, it's not possible. But then I get these moments where I'm in the kitchen cooking. So it's either him cooking something or I'm cooking something. And so I get these moments where I'm cooking in the kitchen and he comes up to me trying to be all cute, which is fantastic. Cause my husband is, you know, like I said, um, I don't know if I've said this or not, but he is one of those husbands that he'll come and grab you and dance with you in the kitchen. Or he comes up for a passionate kiss and the very thing that I think is, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah, I I literally don't want to kiss him. I don't want to. I don't mm-hmm. want to be touched. Mm-hmm. I just want one moment where I'm not giving myself because mm-hmm. I feel like I've poured everything out of me. Yep. And um and quite literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's so patient. Yeah. But I feel so guilty. Yeah. Um, and I think a part of that is tied to the fact that um, growing up in the Christian church, it is communicated, especially in the South. I think if we were to live in other parts of the country, it'd be a little different. But in the South specifically, there is this culture of it is a very man driven church. Yeah. And I, I, and I hate to say it that way, but it is very much so a man driven church. You are raised to say that you are to submit to your husband. And I think it's very taken out of context Mm -hmm. um, of what that actually means. And in fact, his calling to us is far greater than our calling to him. Mm -hmm. Like he, his service to us is far greater than our calling to him. But I think our American church has flipped it on its head to where it's a very unequal, ununified goal. Yeah. of what marriage is supposed to look like with children and just in, in just marriage itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for me, um, I think in the back of my mind, even though this isn't an expectation of my husband, I have this list of expectations that I have to fulfill in order to be good enough for my husband and to do, a, to have been a good enough wife for him. Yeah. Um, so there's this expectation list which automatically I'm already failing because it's not obtainable. I cannot live up to the expectations that I have set in my mind. It's not possible. But I sit there quietly keeping it to myself, not telling him where I'm struggling because let's be real. I don't feel sexy right now. Yeah. (laughs) I look at my body and I'm, I'm disgusted with what I see because nothing is the same. Clothes don't fit me well. I don't really fit well in maternity clothes, but I can't fit in regular clothes. Mm-hmm. I, I, my underwear are way too big, but then I get the old ones and they're way too small. Yeah. And so I never, <laughs> like, this is, that's a whole nother conversation in itself of like needing cute underwear just so I can feel beautiful. Um, but, but there's this, there's, there's this. I don't feel good. Yeah. I don't physically yeah. feel good. I'm emotionally drained. And now, you know, he looked at me the other night and the thing that really spurred on this like conversation I had the other day was he, he looked at me and he's like, Hey, want to have sex tonight? And it was just totally a joke. Like, cause I'm finally permitted to have sex. Like I'm, I'm healed enough now where I can do things like that. And honestly, there was so much fear attached to it. Yeah. Um, one, of course, there's that concept of 
you physically just pushed a baby out of that. Like, yep. it's not okay still. Like, yep. it's still painful. It's still, you know, there's still healing parts that, um, though it's, when you finally get to have sex, it's actually enjoyable in some cases, but there's still that concept of, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't know that I can give myself to you. Yeah. Like, but yet I still felt this. So when he said that to me, literally the rest of the day, because that was earlier in the day, Willa was napping at that time. Um, and the rest of the day on, in the back of my mind was, okay, you need to get your mind ready. You need to do this. You need mm-hmm. to do this. You need to do this. You have to do this tonight. And so like comes time for us to go to bed and I'm in the bathroom mentally hyping myself up <laughs> so that I can be ready to give myself to my husband, which is the most enjoyable thing ever. One of the most, like, it's, it's incredible, but I emotionally wasn't there. Yeah. And, and then here comes the shame and the guilt yep. and the, you're supposed to do this. Yeah. What are you doing? Like yeah. there's these accusing voices that come in and just take over, which makes it even harder to want to connect to my husband. Yeah. So and, what and did that, biggest... what did that conversation end up looking like when you guys talked about like, I don't want you to touch me and I'm just not there. It doesn't mean I don't want you. It doesn't mean that I don't, that I'm not in this, but here's what I'm feeling. And here's, you know, all of these things. What did that kind of conversation look like? Because I think as you're, as I'm listening to you talk, I relate a hundred percent. Like I want these things with my husband. I love my husband. He's a great partner. He's been hugely supportive. He's he's laughing with me and joking with me and trying to he hold. Deserves this. Yeah, try to like hold, <laughs> try to like hold on to to these like fun things in our marriage, right? The dancing in the kitchen, or giving you a kiss, or joking with you, or whatever. And so then, what does that conversation look like? Because I feel like that's where I get hung up. I feel like that's where moms in general get hung up. How do I communicate this to him without him taking that personally that I don't want to be touched by him? Well, I think the first thing is is you can't control how he receives mm. what you present to him. It's good. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things we have to remember is – you're not losing if you share. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times we get stuck in fear of um, opening up to our husbands because of the what ifs. How is he going to respond? How is this going to affect him? How is, you know, or, or we're, we're, we're stuck in shame. Like I'm ashamed of myself for even feeling this way. How dare I? But the emotions and the, the roller coaster of postpartum is a real thing. Yeah. We cannot cast those aside. Um, and honestly, like a true intimate marriage requires vulnerability and true intimate communication. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not real with your husband, you're actually preventing yourself from intimacy. Mm-hmm. You have to be real. Um, me, it's actually a disservice to him, me keeping that from him Yeah. because my behaviors are reflective of my mental state. Sure. And if my mental state and my emotional state is not in a good place, he's going to wonder, well, why is she reacting this way? Mm -hmm. 
which is going to cause greater barriers in intimacy. Right. Which, which think, then leads to longer times and the longer exactly. things go unsaid and all of that, the harder it is to come together, the harder it is to communicate, the longer that it goes. So, well, as and, we, as we kind yeah. of start to wrap up though, how, like, what would you say to that mom who is, is where you are, who's just really struggling with this and and you know we're not talking about a situation where you have a partner who's abusive or who has unrealistic expectations and I always exactly. want to say that we are talking about a healthy marriage we're talking about a healthy body that's that's ready for that we're talking about healthy situations here so if there's something else going on please don't hear what we're not saying um but yeah. how would you you know share with that woman or what advice would you give that mom as far as just being vulnerable and sitting down and having a conversation? Um, I think it's remembering your husband loves you. Um, I think sometimes I want, I forget that I'm loved. Mm. Um, and, and true love it's just going to continue loving and the vulnerability allows for that. And yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is, is if you have a hard time sharing and communicating, write it down, Yeah. write down your thoughts, write down what you're going through. Because I think that there is one, that barrier of how do I even communicate what I'm feeling mm -hmm. without it being harsh or being, being out of a place of like, instead of it being a response, it being a um, reaction. Yeah. You don't want it to come to a react a reaction because reaction a lot of times is is actually it's not from the heart it's mm -hmm. it's a <laughs> it's an explosion in this right sense. and so I think do it sooner than later um, communicate clearly and the way your husband communicates um, my husband has learned to sit and just listen and let me get it out and then respond. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a hard time actually putting it in words, write it out. Yeah. It, it's very helpful for that so that you can actually communicate clearly. Um, make it a fun time instead of it being this, like, granted, we, when we had the conversation the other night, we're laying in bed and I just had to <laughs> have a meltdown and cry like to him. And, and I think let your husband speak as well mm -hmm. um listen to what he has to say after you share um because it produces that conversation um yeah. it's not one-sided yeah you're not in it alone and and i think that's the biggest thing that you need to remember is you're not alone yeah you're you're not alone and the longer you stay with it locked up inside of you it's it's isolating you from yeah. your husband absolutely no that and is that is so good yeah that is so good. I just, I really appreciate um, the conversation today. It's it's a very vulnerable conversation, and I just appreciate how transparent you are about it. Um, I have learned within the last two years or so that vulnerability is just where growth happens, and to really, truly yes. connect and change and grow and get through things 
showing that vulnerability is terrifying and then in the moment also extremely freeing. And so um, I just love that. And I, I love your story and I love that you, um, you know, had a redemptive birth story with your second and just got to be present for that. Um, and I love that you were willing to just come on the podcast today and share. So thanks so much for your time today. It was really, really great. And um, we'll have to do another episode sometimes as you get into like the later toddler, <laughs> the toddler stages what here. What do you do when you have two toddlers running around at the same time? Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, awesome, Misty. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was an honor to be a part of this. Wow. Wasn't that great? I I love when mamas are just willing to talk about the hard stuff, the uncomfortable stuff, the awkward stuff. Let's be real. Uh, it can be a little awkward to talk about this stuff, but frankly, it's something that most of us, if not all of us, deal with in some respect or another. Maybe it was easy for you after babies. Maybe it was nearly impossible. Um, maybe you're still struggling with it. And so I just so much appreciate Misty's vulnerability and sharing. And I hope that today was encouraging for you. And I hope that you got some tools and I hope that if you are struggling, that you will talk to your husband and your partner and really just let him know, you know, how you feel and just share openly that there's a lot going on and frankly you may not understand it all either but you can rest in knowing that you are not alone and that it's something that a lot of us deal with and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel um, on getting back to some level of normal and you know the new you because if this is your first baby you have probably realized you're different If this is your second baby, you're probably still different, and that is okay. And so I hope that today was encouraging, and I hope that you know that you are not alone and that there is community. And if you found today encouraging or you know another mama who might be struggling with this kind of issue, would you share it or like it or leave a review? It just helps other moms find us and connect with us. So as always, thanks for taking some time to spend with me today on this episode of the Memoirs from the Minivan podcast.